Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke as we hear the account of the transfiguration. You may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come here today and enter into your presence thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, who has revealed your glory to us from heaven. We pray this day, O Lord, that you would teach us to rightly think and believe in your Son so that our lives would reflect your glory into this world of darkness and sin. Give us great hope and let us receive your mercy and now grant us your Holy Spirit so that we would hear your word in faith. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, over these last number of weeks, if you have been joining us in worship, or if you haven't joined us in worship, let me bring you up to speed a little bit here. Uh, We've been going through a series in the church called I Am. And what we've been doing this epiphany season is we've been examining the various I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Epiphany is that season in the church where Jesus is revealing himself to us. He's showing himself to us, showing us who he is. And what we've learned over these last number of weeks is who Jesus is as God and the sort of God he is. Jesus has said this to us. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine and you are are the branches and in saying all of these things jesus has shown us uh, that he is our god our god of salvation that he is the god who brought salvation to the people of israel but not just to the people of israel he's brought salvation to the whole world and not just to the whole world he's brought salvation to you And so this is a wonderful thing, and this has been a wonderful season of epiphany to learn these things about our Lord Jesus Christ. But now today as we leave the epiphany season, as we go into the season of Lent, uh, we are going to be looking at not so much today who Jesus is, but I want us to focus on this Transfiguration Sunday, on who Jesus is not. Who Jesus is not. And to wrap our heads around this, we're going to do quite a bit of Bible study here this morning. So I hope you brought your thinking caps and had an extra cup of coffee because we're going to dive right in here to some, uh, some Bible study today. And we're going to learn who Jesus is not by paying attention to what went on on the mountain of transfiguration. Now this is a remarkable account that we read in the scriptures when Jesus was sort of glorified before Peter and James and John. Well, let's tell the story here so we understand what's going on. One day, Jesus takes these three disciples with him, and he goes up on a mountain to pray. And while they're praying, Peter, James, and John, much like uh, me when I pray, they fall asleep. (laughs) And while they're sleeping, two men appear to Jesus, Moses and Elijah. The two sort of two of the great saints of the Old Testament, Moses being sort of the figurehead of the law and Elijah being sort of the figurehead of the prophets. And they begin to speak with Jesus, the text says, about his departure, that is his exodus, that is his act of salvation that's about to take place in Jerusalem. Well, when these two men are about to leave Jesus, Peter and James and John wake up and Peter, so overwhelmed by what he sees, says, hey, Jesus, hold on, before they go, why don't we set up some tents here and have a camp out with the Old Testament guys? I'll get some marshmallows, we'll have a fire, it'll be great. 
be a lot of fun. Uh, but before they leave, Peter doesn't know what he's saying. Suddenly, a cloud descends upon them. And in the cloud, the, the glory of God shows up. And the Father speaks, and he says these words. This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And then there is calm, and the disciples see no one but Jesus. We could literally spend days uh, going through this passage, but we're just going to focus this morning on this one particular phrase where the Father says this. This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Jesus is the chosen one that the Father has sent. And when God says, this is my chosen one, what he means is, this is the one, this is the only one I have chosen to be your Savior. This is the only one I have chosen to save the world from their sins. What is more, not only is he the only one you should be listening to, not only is he the only one who can save you, these other two, Moses and Elijah, cannot. Moses and Elijah cannot save you. They are not my chosen ones to bring salvation. Only Jesus is. So today, this is what I want us to think about, how Jesus is not Moses, and he is not Elijah. First, Jesus is no new Moses. Now, do you know the story of Moses? You know the account of Moses? Moses was one chosen by God to do some saving work. God chose Moses uh, to go into Egypt and to rescue, rescue the Israelites from the tyranny and the slavery of Pharaoh. Then Moses took those Israelites from Egypt and he led them through the wilderness for 40 years into their promised land. We remember this account, right? Now Moses, though he does this saving work that kind of previews what Jesus is about to do, he has a particular sort of ministry that God has given him. We call this the ministry of the law. And you remember this now where God gives Moses these commandments on a mountain. He gives them a whole bunch of instructions of how they are to live once they enter the promised land. The Father says this, I have chosen you. I have saved you. You, Israel, are my people. Now, when you enter in the promised land, you shall have no other gods beside me. And you shall execute justice and righteousness and love in the land. If you do these things, life will go well for you in the land. Things will be great. You will prosper and rejoice and celebrate in my presence while you dwell in this land. However, if you break my commandments, if you begin to worship other gods, if you begin to execute injustice, you lack love and you pursue greed and selfishness, then you will be punished. God says, I will bring in other nations and they will take you off into exile and you will suffer for your sins. Now, in 2 Corinthians, St. Paul, talking about this ministry of the law, says that Moses had a ministry of death because the law cannot give Life. The law cannot make anyone righteous. It cannot make anyone holy. You give the law to sinners and all it does is expose their guilt and expose their shame. And this is exactly what the law did to Israel. The law judges and executes. And Jesus does not do this. For Jesus is no new Moses. To be sure, Moses said a greater prophet than him would arise. I mean, let's give Moses a little bit of credit here. He does point us to Jesus and say a greater prophet than me is coming. And Moses had to realize a greater prophet was coming because as we heard in our reading from the Old Testament this morning, 
Even Moses, this giver of the law, himself could not keep the law well enough to enter into the promised land. Moses was prevented from entering the promised land because he sinned against God. Even he couldn't abide by the covenantal commands that God had made. Moses can't save anyone. Moses can't even save himself. So Jesus is no Moses. It's the same is true with Elijah. Elijah can't save anyone either, and Jesus is no mere Elijah. Now, Elijah is sort of the figurehead or one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And oftentimes when we think about prophets, I think we tend to think of like, uh, like soothsayers or uh, uh, a psychic, someone who has like a crystal ball, and says, oh, this is what God's going to do in the future. Sometimes I think that's how we think of prophets. That's not entirely accurate. A prophet in the Old Testament is more like what we could call a covenant lawyer. That they come along and they sort of show Israel where they are falling short, where they are sinning. So the prophets come along and they say, listen, here's what's going on, Israel. God told you to have no other gods beside him, but guess what? Here's the other gods you're worshiping. God told you to execute justice and righteousness in the land, but look at this group of people over here who is suffering. Look at these slaves who are oppressed. Look how you Israelites have begun to act like Egypt. And what they would then say is, because you have done this, now God is going to punish you. Now God is going to execute judgment on this land, and he's going to bring in other nations, and he's going to take you off into exile. So the job of the prophets really was to come along and pronounce judgment. And to warn the Israelites that they needed to repent. And sometimes they had to tell them it was too late. Now to be sure, once again, the prophets, much like with Moses and Elijah would do this, is they prophesied about a Savior who would come. They would show Israel their sin and they would show them their need of a Savior. But the prophets themselves could save no one. The prophets could not be saviors. That's as far as they could go. They could simply accuse and point to the need of salvation. They could only condemn and claim a greater Savior was to come. Elijah could only point to another. He couldn't save anyone. And now before we go on to show how Jesus is really not like this, I think it's worth stopping here for a moment to think this through. Because sometimes I wonder what this sort of means for the church. And sometimes I wonder if we in the church don't spend a little too much time kind of looking like Moses and looking like Elijah where we like to think of the church as that place where people gather, you know, those people who are really obedient to the law, who really obey what everything God says, and then we go out and we cast judgment on everyone else. I think sometimes the church is rather guilty of sitting in judgment over everyone else's sins, trying to expose everyone else's sins without dealing uh, with the plank that resides in our own eyes. And very often we in the church have turned the Christian religion into a religion of rules and regulations and laws that must be conformed to if we expect people to join us here. If we expect people to be a part of our community, they need to look like us and vote like us and act like us and think like us. The default message then is if you want to be a part of us, you have to look like us and act like us and think like us. And then if you're going to be a part of us, only then can you be loved by God. And we start to think that in order to earn God's love, they must perform in the way we want them to perform. And we sit up in seats of judgment on everyone else. And I think this is very often because we are not listening. Not only are we not listening to Moses and Elijah, we're not listening to the Father on the mountaintop today. The Father who pointed us to Jesus. 
and says, Jesus is my chosen one, listening to him, and listen to him. And if you are listening to Moses and Elijah without Jesus, you are missing the point altogether. For without Jesus, Moses and Elijah bring death. And we as the church are not called to bring death into this world, but to bring the life of Christ. See, Jesus is not a new Moses come to merely bring new and stricter laws to be sure jesus preached laws in fact he took moses's laws and he made them even harder for us to keep but he's also not an elijah who came only to expose our guilt and show us our need for salvation though to be sure he does do this jesus does show us our guilt and he does show us our need for salvation but here's the difference between jesus and moses and elijah jesus not only gives commands he keeps them He not only gives the law, he fulfills the law on our behalf. He does the work that we are called to do, and then he gives us the credit for it. Not only does Jesus come and proclaim judgment on the world, he takes the judgment upon himself when he suffers in the place of sinners on the cross. Where the the prophets would proclaim judgment on the sins of Israel, Jesus suffers the punishment that Israel deserves. Jesus suffers the punishment that the world deserves. Jesus suffered the punishment that you deserve and that I deserve. Where the law could not bring righteousness but only death to sinners, the Lord Jesus comes to die the sinner's death and to declare you righteous and then to raise us with him for all of eternity. What this means then is in Jesus, we do not have a Jesus who deals only in law and judgment but in mercy and forgiveness. So that John, who wrote the Gospel of John, and who was actually there on the mountain seeing Christ transfigured before him, could write these words about the ministry of Jesus. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, like Moses and Elijah could only do, but to save the world through him. This, then, is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion because, you see, this is what sets our God apart from every other God in this world. We deal with a God of mercy and grace, of kindness and forgiveness, not a God of mere law and judgment. We are not a people who are built on our own personal holiness or righteousness or obedience to the law. Sometimes I think the law laughs at such presumption, and I'm fairly certain uh, that Uh, uh, The world laughs at such presumption. Rather, we are built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. His mercy, his grace, his love, his forgiveness for sinners. Don't get me wrong this morning. Moses and Elijah tell the truth. Moses and Elijah would come in here and look at this place and say, now here you go. Here we've got quite a gathering of sinners. But Jesus has an even greater word that you are to listen to. Jesus would walk in here and say, ah, yes, this is quite a gathering of sinners, and I forgive you, sinners. I love you, sinners. I have died for you, sinners. So on this Transfiguration Sunday, as we enter into the season of Lent, we remember who Jesus is not. He is not Moses. He is not Elijah sitting on a mountain looking down on the sinful masses in judgment. No. He is the God in flesh who has not come down a mere mountain but has come down from uh, heaven to enter into your sin, to die for you on the cross and to give you life with his Father forever. He is God's beloved son, Son who he has chosen to save you. 
listen to him. Listen to him in this word that is spoken to you this morning, this word that is greater than the word of Moses or Elijah, the word of Jesus which finds you here today and says this, I forgive you, I love you, and you are mine. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you are a God of forgiveness and mercy. That, Lord, though you do need to give us your law to judge us and condemn us in our sin, you do not leave us condemned, but you send your Son, Jesus Christ, to take the condemnation for us, who dies and rises to give us hope and eternal life with you. Grant us grace now, Lord, to trust in your promises and to live as people forgiven and free, showing your love and your mercy to a world that needs to hear it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We heard the word of our Lord, and we've already confessed our faith during the baptism, and we've already spoken the Lord's Prayer. So at this time, we will be prepared uh, to receive the sacrament. I ask you at this time to please rise.